Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 62nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that makes you money as foretold. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. A quick message from our sponsor, Face-to-Face Games. Face-to-FaceGames.com provides competitive pricing on Magic Singles and Sealed product with shipping to both the U.S. and Canada. Check out Face-to-Face card pricing via MTGPrice.com, whether building your deck or stockpiling a spec. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. At MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Travis Allen, a.k.a. At Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. This week? I'm your co-host this week? <laughs> every week? That's true, Most I suppose. Weeks. Pretty much Most every weeks. week. Uh, Unless you're in Hawaii <laughs> spending all that finance cash. No, those restored balances really coming home to roost. <laughs> you know? Uh Glad to be here this evening and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everybody. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, what's on the agenda this week? Well, this week we have a show in four parts. Uh, Segment one will be our top movers. We'll look at the cards that have seen the largest gains in price this week. Segment two is our cards to watch. This is where James and I will talk about a few cards that we think may see increases in price. Segment three is our metagame we can review. We're going to talk a little bit about what modern looks like uh, online at the moment, kind of get an overview of what's going on there. And segment four, our topic of the week, we're going to talk about Amoncat spoilers. We've got a new Gideon, a new Liliana, uh, a major combo piece in As Foretold, and a couple other odds and ends. So let's jump in uh, at the bottom of our list to segment one, our top movers. Um, I'll get us kicked off because this is a little bit of a favorite of mine is Ad Nauseam. Uh, looking at the Shards of Alara copy, which is in fact the only copy. Started the week at around $8, $7. We are now up towards $11. Um, looks like the cheapest price right now is just about $12. And there's only, mm, I think, five play sets on TCG Player right now. Um, I This is kind of got two different things going on the first is that this was on its way up prior to this week um i actually wrote about it about a week or two ago in my mtg price article but then we got a gideon spoiler um a few days ago which is competitive with phyrexian unlife for the slot and ad nauseum i don't know if it's better i don't think anyone knows yet but it is worth being aware of um the gideon's three mana it's white and you can create, give yourself the emblem um, so that you don't lose the game as long as you control Gideon, which lets you go off with Ad Nauseam safely. The difference here is that um, where w- with Phyrexian on un- life, you just have an enchantment and whatever it is that everything that enchantments are. With Gideon, you now have a Planeswalker. So on the one hand, he can be attacked and killed, which can't happen to your unlife. But on the other hand, he can attack and kill things like, for instance, a Liliana Vale on the other side of the table. Um, so it's an, in, it, the card is already on its way up. We get a little bit of an extra boost to the archetype as people aren't sure if that's good enough. I would not be surprised to see prices on ad nauseum keep moving, especially if it spikes another event or two. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing here on the Gideon side of things is that the emblem's excellent. So long as you have a Gideon in play, I just don't understand how in a super aggro focused format, you're going to keep Gideon on the table. Um, when the whole rest of your deck is built around the combo, right? Like, the without anything to block for Gideon because 
uh, his zero ability that turns him into an indestructible uh, human soldier creature doesn't last till your next turn. It only lasts for the turn that you activate it. So it's not even like after you emblem, uh, if you survive a turn from there on out, you can make him indestructible. Um, now you can use his plus one to shut down a single threat, but a lot of the aggro decks, you know, the Death Shadow, Tarmogoyfi decks, and all the grindy mid-range decks, um, are gonna, I don't think I have too much trouble getting through and, and dealing the necessary damage to get him off the table, which, you know, moots the emblem. Um, so I'd have trouble believing that Phyrexian Unlife, uh, is gonna get knocked out by Gideon. Now, all of that being said, uh, I'm not sure that that's the only deck that can run Gideon. Um, it's a three mana planeswalker with, uh, uh, you know, an ability that is comparable to things like Platinum Imperion or, or Platinum Angel. And, you know, it doesn't win you the game on the spot, but you can probably figure out some kind of build where you're running this Gideon and Gideon Ally of Zendikar and potentially Gideon Jura, and it's a whole Gideon-themed thing. And that could be like a Mardu or an Esper build or something with a bunch of control elements where... You know, you're just building uh, up your resources and keeping a Gideon on a table uh, through counter magic and removal long enough to be able to enact your endgame. Um, I have no idea uh, what the final form of such a deck might look like, but any three mana uh, Planeswalker needs to be, you know, tested uh, and considered <laughs> for uh, broken behavior and modern because that's that's kind of the key uh casting cost for a planeswalker to show up uh on mass in that format yeah i mean i agree with you it is very far-fetched in ad nauseum for exactly the reason that you outlined is uh the fear of getting it attacked dead um which is great that you don't have the problem with uh Phyrexian on life it does provide an interesting angle um but probably not good enough but yeah i mean it at the same time, maybe we see it come out in a completely different strategy also also viable i think so there's a lot going on there um yep go ahead I'm not even sure we're done with Ad Nauseam. I think, like, you know, this was your pick last week on cast, and you called it to hit potentially 20. Um, you know, I'm tw- 20 might be ambitious, uh, but 15 certainly seems reasonable given the level of supply. It doesn't really matter what happens with Gideon here. It just matters that if five or ten more players pick up Ad Nauseam as a deck in the next little while, the supply will be essentially drained. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it's $12 now, so it's not like we're we're even too far from 15 I mean, yeah. there'd have to be, what, like one place that bought in order to get to that? Something like that. Uh, All right. So, yeah, why don't you give us our next card? So, next on our list, we have Malira Silvok Outcast from New Phyrexia. This is the longstanding Abzan uh, combo piece um, where, with this and uh, uh, Kitchen Finks and. Uh, uh, various other compatriots, you can set up an infinite combo. Um, you haven't really seen too much of it in modern lately, um, but there's a whole bunch of cards in Amonkhet that are based around minus one, minus one counters being used as uh, a counter to uh, an overpowered card at its casting cost. Um, and so the, you know, people were jumping on Malira on the assumption that there will be something that will be modern playable um, uh, with that involves minus one, minus one counters. This is purely speculative um, activity and uh, probably not a gravy train you want to try to get on until you've actually successfully tested a deck that convinces you that the card is suddenly better than it was before. It's uh, it's definitely a little bit of a stretch um, to think that we're going to get too much traction here. I, I am interested in the card if, if you can score them at kind of like retail, a little below retail, um, just because the price has been kind of moving up for a while uh, and been pretty reasonable. So it's just kind of getting better. Um, 
It's an, it's an interesting card, uh, and you know, New Phyrexia has been a goldmine in the past. Malira does something very interesting. Uh, she works really well with. Um, oh, I remember what I was saying because I was talking about this on uh, Cartel Aristocrats the other day. Is that you know we're not there quite yet, but if they give us, if they give us a creature akin to Death's Shadow, but instead of like it being you know you it getting the minus minus based on your life, let's say it's a thirteen thirteen for one that comes in with twelve minus one minus one counters or something like that. Um, you know, suddenly that opens the door to Malira being insane uh, a whole another vector there for her so you know i don't know if the card is there i don't know if it's going to show up but we're we're in the right ballpark in the right set at least for that type of thing to show up and it's only you know we'll just have to wait and see if it does basically one of the problems is that the a lot of these cards that involve minus one minus one counters in green that we've seen so far um, basically re- require you to have the counters to get the benefit. So, for instance, the Chandler Initiate is a 3-4 Birds of Paradise, but you only get to get the tap for mana of any color if you've got minus one, minus one counters to take off of it. So if you put this into play after a Malira, then you've just followed a 2-2 with a 3-4, and you're playing a pretty vanilla game of Magic for Modern. Yes. Um, and if you look at Exemplar of Strength, which is kind of uh, along the lines of the Death Shadowy one you're talking about, it's a 4-4 four, four for 2, but it comes in with 3 minus 1 minus 1 counters. So that one's a 4-4 four, four for 2, um, chasing Malira, which is not a bad rate for Modern. But uh, the other thing it can do is you can remove the counters when it attacks to gain life. Well, that ability's gone. So you're you're looking at a vanilla 3-4 and a vanilla 4-4 four, four to follow up on your Malira. So if you're convinced that that's playable then, you know, test it and prove it. Um, but until I see something sexier than that, uh, I would be uh, holding back on that card. Right. We're, I mean, we're definitely not at a point with what we've seen so far being what's good enough. It's sort of like, a, well, what could maybe come? But we're ap- I agree we're not there right now. Yep. All right. Next on the list. Uh, yeah, next on the list is Life from the Loam. I'm pretty sure I've talked about this at some point in the past. There's no way I haven't brought this up in a past episode. Um Jumped from 15 to 25. Uh, again, that was based on the cycle lands. Was there something else that I'm forgetting, or was it just the cycle lands? I think it was just those, right? Uh, well, I mean, dredge decks are not dead in modern, and some of them are running light from the loam. Um, the- well, I mean, like the, it, it spiked this week, and it was because of the cycle land reveal, right? Yeah, it, pe- people are assuming that there there might be some kind of Gitrog monster deck now. Okay. Um, you know, cy- cycling with Gitrog is like draw two cards. That's pretty sick um, with these yeah. lands. Um, it was, the week is running together for me. I'm truly yeah. them separate. And, yeah, and so Life, in the, Life in the Loom was already at relatively low supply, so it wasn't too hard for a run to get started. Um, no, I, I, think, I think it's a really, I mean, the card is fantastic. And we saw Seismic Assault spike not that long ago as well. I mean, it, it's a very, um, very potent card. Uh, so I'm not surprised to see it here. And, you know, even if nothing materializes, it'll decrease in price. But I don't even think by that much. Yeah, I mean, given that it's got dredge as a keyword on it, impo- pretty, more or less impossible to reprint uh, anything outside of a, a dual deck type supplemental product, and we don't have anything on the horizon that looks like it fits. Um, so uh, pretty unlikely to see a reprint uh, before it has a chance to climb. Uh, it could end up a 30 or $40 card if it makes a splash in modern this year. Yep, I, I agree. That uh, that's, doesn't sound unreasonable. 
All right, so next on the list, we have Lotus Bloom out of Time Spiral and Modern Masters. There was also a promo uh, printing at release, I believe. Um, this moved from $9 to $18. Um, I certainly was part of that action. I, I bought several uh, play sets uh, over the last couple of days. Um, this is all based on As Foretold hype. Um, and I think this one's a little weird for As Foretold. I actually like it more um, as a counterpart to your Ad Nauseum spec than I do as a card that is likely to get uh, put into play under an As Foretold. Um as we're told, being on the battlefield with a Lotus Bloom in your hand basically gives you a Black Lotus because you get to cast it for free um, instead of waiting for it to come off suspend. Um, Black Lotuses are good, I hear, in Magic the Gathering. Um, but whether you can build a deck around that and do things with Bloom without the As We're Told in play, yeah, that's all pretty far-fetched so far. Um, but Lotus Bloom is in the Ad Nauseum builds, right? So if Ad Nauseum's climbing, then Lotus Bloom has reason to climb. Right, I... Uh... Yes, I agree that this is definitely much more about ad nauseum than it is about um, about uh, as foretold. Yeah, as foretold. So I don't know if it was just the timing, like the, they happen to coincide because you know we've got ad nauseum kind of moving this week too, um, and those are obviously in the same deck. So, it, but it did go like the same night as as foretold. So maybe people, I, I don't know, I don't know. There's definitely some intermingling there, but uh, this is another card that the price is. Um, you know, the price is finally a little more realistic. I think, I don't think there's a, a huge ceiling on this from here. Um, you know, I like ad nauseum. It's probably kind of bound to the 20 to $25 range without being extremely good in multiple decks. Um, but yeah, so that's it. We, we did call this somewhere, somewhere at some point. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's, as you said, people, people were, uh, clicking around looking for all the suspend cards that might be relevant because of as foretold. Um, uh, and it's ironic that <laughs> this went down after thing, uh, the brain in a jar bubble popped um, as they announced that the uh, weird split card interactions that people were trying to abuse in modern this year um, were no longer going to be allowed under adjusted rules. Um, but we can get to that in, in segment four. Um, tell me what the, about the, the next uh, big mover this week. Yeah, the uh, the other card that we saw this week, another one that we saw this week, was uh, Clark Clan Ironworks. Um, we're looking at the foils specifically from uh, Fifth Dawn, still the only printing. Um, basically, no copies of this card left. Not that there were any copies like you know months ago. Uh, I believe this is something to do with some sort of scrap scrap trawler deck. I mean, this is kind of news to me. Um, I am actually unfamiliar with this. Can you shed a little light on this for me? Yeah, so a bunch of streamers have been running this Scrap Trawler deck. Uh, Scrap Trawler was a pet card of mine uh, coming out of the uh, announcements uh, uh, when it was when it was first spoiled. Everybody else seemed to kind of ignore it, but then people started to realize that you could bring back a Clark Clan Ironworks eggs type deck. Um, and what Scrap Trawler does in that deck is it provides a high degree of consistency to cycle through the deck because you can cycle your highest cast art, you can uh, sacrifice your highest casting cost artifact to the Carclan Ironworks once you have it in play and get two mana immediately. And if it's something like an Icker, well, uh, uh, then you get a card right away, and then you can, because a two casting cost thing went to the graveyard, you can get back a one casting cost thing and then sack that, like a Chromatic Sphere or whatever, and get another card um, and and net a mana. And then you can get, uh, you can sack your Mox Opal to Card Clan Ironworks and get two mana and then bring the Opal back. Um, and then you get all this busted amount of mana and then you just cast Emmer Cool or something. Uh, 
So there's all sorts of nasty things the deck can do. It was, you know, getting run uh, on a variety of streams. And then it showed up at the uh, San, GP San Antonio this weekend in the uh, uh, the team uh, modern event where they had to share cards between uh, the various decks. Um, like each, any given card, no matter how many copies you were running, could only be in one of the decks. So it's not a true test of the modern metagame. Uh, per se, but it's still, that deck still showed up a couple times on camera and did some very good work. Um, and, uh, you know, didn't end up winning the tournament or anything, but they made a deep run with it. Um, and the consensus is that the deck is, you know, strong, perhaps stronger than the Pure Steel Paladin, uh, brews that we were seeing a couple months back. And, uh, it's got a, a fairly high, uh, degree of resiliency, unless you have a Stony Silence on the table, uh, at which point, uh, your life gets a lot more difficult, obviously. Um, but the, you know, I, I think that given how the fact that Carclan Ironworks, uh, has only ever seen a single printing, uh, in the foil, it's not tremendously surprising to me that the foils have dried up. Yeah. I mean, uh, like I said, there's, there was no copies of this before. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I agree. It's, 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 there's, there's nothing. Unfortunately, they're not even very good looking, right? Because they're fifth on. Those foils were uh, from that era were, were rough. Yeah, the art's not very uh, awesome either. But you know, it, it it is what it is. If you want to run the foils, uh, the you know some of these builds are running uh, ever flowing chalice uh, as a card that you might want to have your eye on. Um, Mere battle sphere. Ancient Stirrings, which is a card that I've flagged a couple times as a potential gainer this year. Um, the rest of it is is kind of a bunch of hot trash. It's things like Codex Shredder and Chromatic Star, Chromatic Sphere, and Prophetic Prism, all of which is pretty cheap. Um, Codex even Shredder the is a tier one modern card, man. Yeah, I mean, even the lands aren't particularly exciting. But it is cool that they're running... This is another deck that finds reasons to run for Sanctum of Ugin, and they basically go Mirror Battle Sphere into Emrakul off the Sanctum. Um, <laughs> to fetch it up, which is kind of gross. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So that's kind of interesting. Um, all right. So next on our list is a uh, food chain from Mercadian masks started the week at 20 up around 40 right now. Uh, I mean the cheapest copy on TCG player is $47, but the market price is 22. Um, this is another reserve list card. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've, been, we've wait, it is right. Right. I'm not crazy about that. Am I? I'm not sure this is reserve list. Let's look that up. Wait, no, this is not. I was thinking of um, allure, not allure, and there's another one that's similar to this that I was thinking of. This is not reserve list, so we could see this again, which makes this even more insane. Uh, this is a three mana enchantment from Arcadian Masks. You an exile a creature you control from the game, and you add that much mana. Um, it allows you to go uh, infinite with um, oh, what is that? Sphinx, the one from. One of the Innistrads, uh, Mist Hollow Griffin. You can cre- generate infinite mana with Mist Hollow Griffins because um, you can cast it from exile. Apparently, somebody wrote an article about it this week um, with Walking Ballista because Walking Ballista gives you another win cons, apparently. Uh, so you can like generate infinite mana with the uh, um, Sphinx and then cast infinite, you know, Walking Ballista as a 
100-100 and then just shoot them immediately. Uh, and I probably provide some additional game on the ground earlier before you set up your combo. So uh, this was already extremely low supply because it's been around Legacy for a long time. Uh, and now we just saw it spike again. Not a card I would want to own any copies of, that's for sure. Yeah, I think you can sell into the, this level of hype. This this could still be a slow, like long term gainer, just because it's, I, I don't think it's likely to get reprinted because it's so busted. It's not a card you can easily just throw into any old set. And there's it's it's an awkward card to have in standard because you got to work around it in the same way that you do uh, with like Sahili Rai. Um, so yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna see it anytime soon. Uh, if I had copies right now, I'd probably sell um, just because I think there's other things that will gain more quickly uh, past whatever hype spike, and also because this is a legacy card and legacy <laughs> is not showing the kind of growth that makes me want to invest heavily. Yes, as I'm fond of saying, it's a dead format. Um, okay, so uh, well, I I obviously have to take this one. <laughs> Uh, the next card on our list this week is Restore Balance from Time Spiral. Started at fourteen fifty. It is right around fourteen dollars right now. Uh, some of you know I have probably been following this pretty closely. I think I've basically Ari Lax and I are probably the two guys known as Restore Balance dudes in the Magic community. He plays it. I buy it. Um, Copies are up to yeah. I'm seeing copies at like 11.50 right now, uh, but there's very few play sets on TCG Player. Um, this finally moved as a, a result of as foretold, which uh, really was be- been behind a lot of activity in the last couple days, last 24 hours, 48 hours. As foretold is that enchantment again that lets you cast spells for free. Well, now you can slam as foretold on turn three and then just restore balance immediately, which is really interesting because as foretold does not get caught up in balance. Balance does not hit enchantments. So that's what makes this really sick is that you can just pop, drop as foretold, balance the game away, and then while every, while you and your opponent are struggling for resources because neither of you have cards or lands, well, you've got an enchantment that's basically going to let you start casting your spells for free, whereas they have to try and recover their lands. So really, not only does it kind of like give you an ability to just balance whenever you want, it also breaks the symmetry really well. And that's extremely important when you're talking about these types of effects. Um, so is as foretold going to be what makes Restore Balance part of modern? I don't know. Um, I do think that this is the card that I've been waiting a while for. Uh, and it certainly is looking exciting right now. So I will be watching with bated breath to see if we get anywhere. I haven't listed any of my restore balances yet. Uh, I think I'm going to get really greedy with this and kind of hold off. I might list a play set if um, I see a couple more copies sell. Uh, but I mean, right now, like I said, there's six play sets of seven play sets of this card, maybe on TCG and um, virtually, I think nobody playing modern owns this card, right? Like this isn't a card that people that's floating around that people have copies of that, like they kind of have half a place set of, like nobody owns it. So if you, if people suddenly want to play this deck, if they need a copy, they're going to be a lot of people in the market. You know, there's nobody's coming to the table that already has play sets at home. Well, I mean, if they need four copies, right? Cause it, it's possible that this, if, if such a deck emerges, um, it wants to, uh, bust out a bunch of suspend cards as quickly as possible and do all sorts of brokenness, right? Like the, you can, um, 
go gemstone caverns, for instance. This is the legendary land, also from Time Spiral, that if it's in your opening hand and you're not playing first, you can begin the game with gemstone caverns and play with a luck counter on it. And if you do, you remove a card in your hand from the game. So that already lowers the number of cards in hand, increases your land count. So then if on turn two, for instance, you set off, you know, via Simeon Spirit Guide or whatever, as foretold, and then hit balance, and they've dropped a couple of, like, one-drop creatures or something on turns one and two then potentially all their creatures die. You're at like two, maybe three cards in hand. They lose, they go from five or four cards down. Um, and your lands are probably more or less even. Um, uh, but you're in a position where you're now casting a spell for free on their turn and or your turn, depending on what's left in hand. And you have the opportunity on the next turn, perhaps to uh, drop a ancestral vision into the as foretold and start to stock back up. All of this is so speculative at this point. Um, and I would imagine you're not going to hold your breath, right? Like 15 solid, you're going to start selling? Uh, yeah, I think so. I'm not going to dump everything onto the TCG at once. I like to kind of eke it out one place at a time just to kind of get a feel for how things are going and also to avoid getting bought out if the car, if the card spikes again. Uh, but it, I, I don't think I can pass up $15, and I'm pretty sure multiple people would yell at me and tell me I'm being super greedy if I waited beyond that. Yeah, I mean, your stack restore balance looks like mine of Eidolon on the Great Revel, and I've been just bleeding those out like a place that every other day um, for several weeks now. I'm super happy to just take my double up and move on. Look, my car needs brakes. It's going to be like seven or eight hundred dollars. I got to hold out for the gold for the golden brass ring here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next on the list, we have Plunge into Darkness. Uh, moving from a dollar fifty to five dollars, this is the card that is um, speculatively useful in Death Shadow decks. Um, I haven't seen too many of the the pros running it yet, which would be the trigger that would lead me to go deeper on this card. But I did pick up some copies locally that were priced pretty cheaply um, at the old price. Um, the we saw some movement on the foils already. The non-foil uh, supply was a little deeper, but it's starting to dry up as people start to fool around with the card. Um, it was, it's from fifth dawn. It's never seen a reprint. Um, so, and any amount, uh, you know, modest to moderate use in modern, uh, will certainly, could certainly turn this into a five to $10 card in a hurry. Yep. Uh, and you know, death shadow has been as a deck has been eager to change prices for the last, you know, couple months. So it's certainly viable, I think. Yeah, I mean, the problem there is that you don't want to get caught holding a bunch of Death Shadow pieces if they nerf the deck by removing one of uh, the key components, whether it's Bobble or uh, Street Wraith. Um, either of those could potentially knock the deck out of Tier 1 status and uh, leave you holding the bag. So you don't, want to, you don't want to be looking at these Death Shadow-related cards as a long-term uh, play. You really want to get in and get out as fast as you can. You know, it's funny to hear me hear you say that because I feel like you have um, been fairly uh, co- comfortable with that Shadows card just because you don't think they're gonna you didn't think they were gonna ban any of them. Uh, I don't think that there's a, an immediate need to do so, and I wouldn't put I wouldn't bet that we're getting such a banning you know immediately here, but because the, the deck is consensus the best deck in the format right now but it hasn't been that way for that long yet you know talking about a few months so give it another six to 12 months if you're still not seeing uh much in the way of diversity then i would expect to see something happen but you know cards like mox opal have been in that position numerous times where affinity seemed like the best deck i mean affinity was one of the only decks that went toe-to-toe in eldrazi winter with the utterly broken versions of the eldrazi builds 
um, and seemed like it was, you know, too powerful um, in that context. But the, you know, it, it never got slapped with a ban. So, I mean, strong decks that play, you know, quasi-fair games of Magic um, aren't necessarily going to get injured, especially that given that there is no modern Pro Tour anymore, there isn't a really strong impetus to keep knocking stuff out of the format. Um, but, uh, you know, most of the chatter I've heard from the pros is that something from that deck needs to go. Um, at GP San Antonio, there was a Factor Fiction that was run by uh, Marshall Sutcliffe and LSV, and uh, they both agreed that uh, something in that deck uh, wouldn't would require a banning within the year. So uh, we'll see what happens. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I don't argue with that point. Uh, I just brought it up because you had mentioned in the past that you were not necessarily on board. But uh, yeah, I, I. I don't know. I, I do think it's probably it might be pushing its luck a little bit. Um. All right, so uh, I'll hop I'll grab our last one here. Last card for the week is Splendid Reclamation from uh, Eldritch Moon. This is the four mana uh, Nissa Touchdown Unbelievable card. <laughs> I was introduced to that name recently, and once I figured out what the hell they were talking about, it's fantastic. Um, started out the week around 50 cents. It's now up to around 250. That's a good 400% gain. This is, again, uh, on the back of the Cycling Lands. Uh, the idea being that you are going to cycle a bunch of lands and then cast Splendid Reclamation and have a bunch of lands. Uh, pretty straightforward. Um, a little pricey for me for uh, for standard rare. I don't really know how one capitalizes on this at the moment, aside from trading them away at your local store. So if you have them, I guess you can trade them. I do really like Splendid Reclamation on a long scale, but I do, I think that this card can can drop again before it picks up steam with the EDH crowd and the casual crowd. I can certainly believe that there's going to be a cycling focused delirium style deck that might uh, run this card as a one or a two of or something for value in the mid game. Um, But the problem with these specs that go from something close to a dollar to something close to $3 is as we've said many times before, it's impossible to get out of them and make any real money. Um, and it, buying up a hundred copies of this, you know, say you buy them for $50 and you manage to buy listed at a dollar later, um, minus your time shipping, et cetera, et cetera. Maybe you net 20, 25 bucks, 30 bucks in the, in that transaction, but you could have just bought one of the masterpieces I've been telling you to buy and s- sit on it for six to 12 months and you'll make the same amount of money. Right. With yeah, way less, way, way less envelopes to take to the mail. Yeah. This is essentially one of those cards that nobody... Nobody really made that much money on it. Just, I guess, sort of makes things a little, a little more expensive for uh, for people that wanted to play a goofy deck. Yeah, I, mean, um, I guess, I guess the key point there that we haven't mentioned in a while is that if you're holding a whole bunch of cards that that fit in this profile, buy listing is the way to go. Um, yeah. Like for instance, we've got a bunch of curtains calls that we acquired in Europe, um, but unless that card gets over five dollars, I don't want to be shipping them out one at a time to EDH players. Um, I just want to get wait till the buy list gets high enough and then ship the entire chunk of them all at once. Yep, I'm uh, I'm holding them until Vegas and then kind of assessing where it is at that point and whether I want to make an effort to if I'm just going to buy list them there or, or hold on to them, check what the supply is. But yeah, I, I kind of bought them with the assumption that I was going to buy list them and um, really only bothered because it was like a large enough quantity that it was even worth it. You know, it was not 15 or 20 copies. Yeah. All right. So one thing I just wanted to point out, uh, you know, we went through the list of everything that did 40% or better this week, uh, for the most part, skipping a couple of oddities on some high end foils. But there was like 30, 40 cards that 
increased by between 15 and 40% this week that we didn't mention, uh, both foil and non-foil. Um, so maybe I'll put a list of them in the show notes. Um, but, you know, just further evidence, there's plenty of money to be made week after week after week in MTG Finance, and uh, don't listen to anybody who tells you the contrary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's all got to be on the back of these spoilers, right? Like, there's been a lot of really juicy cards um, spoiled. It feels like the last couple sets, set or two, um, have really kind of had that, like, get your juices flowing in the way that sets before that had. And, like, I don't remember getting this excited about, like, Shadows over Innistrad or, or things of that nature. SOI in particular, I don't recall having much interest in because, um, you know, we hadn't gotten the real Eldrazi yet. We didn't have as many combo pieces. It's, it, that seems to be where this is really coming from. Mm-hmm. All right, so moving on uh, to our picks of the week, our cards to watch that we think might make you guys some money. Um, I'll jump right in with one of my picks that I almost gave you guys last week, but decided I had a couple of things that were a little bit higher priority, um, but it definitely makes my list this week. Um, I'm going to start off with Dark Confidant uh, out of the M15 or uh, Modern Masters 2013 versions. Um, Ravnik is a little more expensive, so not quite as exciting. Um, and it's not clear uh, that people don't prefer the new art anyway. Um, the buy price would be somewhere in the 40 to $42 range if you can get your hands on it. There's not a lot left at that price, but I think this card is absolutely going to hit 60 um, before it has a chance to get reprinted, um, which probably the next time for that is Modern Masters 2019. I can't see them printing a card that powerful into standard anytime soon, um, and I don't think they're going to see any need to do so when they can use it as cannon fodder for the next big uh, uh, modern set uh, in, you know, two years or whatever. The uh, So the goal there is to get a 40% type return, minus fees, and so forth, probably net you something like 30% uh, per copy. Um, the thing is that there's really aren't that many copies of Dark Confident in modern right now, um, but the wheel will turn, right? Like, the at, at a certain point, somebody's going to bring this back to the forefront, and then it's really going to pop off. And in the meantime, Jund is such a popular deck, especially locally, um, as kind of a perennial favorite that is relatively reliable to never get banned, um, and always has some game against, you know, any version of the metagame. Um, you know, there are still going to be going to be a lot of local demand, even if Dark Confidant is not the, you know, the best card at the Pro Tour tables, or I mean, GP tables, I guess now. Yeah, uh, for sure. I think um, I think you're dead on. And and I don't even see it not being great in the format as that big of a deal. Really, that's almost almost appealing. It's one of those be greedy when others are fearful, Warren Buffett type things. Uh, we know, <coughs> excuse me, we know that Dark Confidant is extremely powerful. It is good in modern and the format does kind of move in cycles. So it's like, well, even though it's not great now, we know this is going to come around. This isn't even speculative. This is a powerful card, and the format will shift, and it'll it'll very likely be good again. So, um, you know, I know we've talked about this before, but I, I still do think that this is a, a, a wise pickup. Yeah. So I may as well throw, since you've only got a, a one pick to throw our way this week, I'll throw in my second one um, before you give us your first. Um, Ancestral Vision um, has already seen motion uh, in the last little while. Oh, okay. Uh, up 10 or 15 bucks. So, uh, 
I want to chime in here because this was going to be my second pick for the week, but you got to the spreadsheet before <laughs> me and put it out there. <laughs> Fair. So let's so, let's share it then because I, I think I came with two. <laughs> let's share it then. It's not a huge gainer, I don't think. Like you're gonna, it's already gonna be kind of tough to get your hands on copies in the fifty dollar range in volume. Um, but put your sell target in the $65 to $70 range before this thing gets a chance at being reprinted. Um, and that's in a world where it's already kind of a marginal card in the format and still has demand from all sorts of, you know, uh, brew-focused individuals at the local level. People playing, you know, Grixis Control or Blue-White Control are running copies of this. But Blue's not that good in the format. Like, it's not a very significant percentage of the metagame at present. However... Um, when I'm looking at As Foretold, um, the new Blue Mythic out of Amonkhet, uh, the number one card that jumps to everybody's mind as the thing that you want to cast into this is obviously Ancestral Recall, um, which is, uh, except Ancestral Vision is better with an As Foretold on the table because uh, you cast it for free, not for one blue. Uh, and you get three cards immediately, which is certainly better than waiting four turns for them to show up in the normal uh, uh, method of dealing with things. The... Ancestral Vision is a card people keep expecting to be great because it came off the banned list and then did nothing. Um, and people just you know, are hammering away at this, trying to make it work. Um, it did some work on camera in the blue-white control decks at GP San Antonio. Um, blue-white decks are supposedly good against the Death Shadow decks. Um, and so we might see an uptick in the card just from that um, shift. Uh, I, I tend to think that there are always less control players and combo players than there are aggro and mid-range players just in general because of... Uh, you know, the general human tendencies that exist in our hobby. Um, but if, as we're told, uh, is playable in modern, I can't see a world where Ancestral Vision isn't a four of in that deck. And even if that's not how this thing gains, um, on the supply side alone, um, I think we can climb 10 or $15 a copy before you see it again, maybe in Modern Masters 2019. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, in the similar boat, you know, uh, this card's price has been very impressive given that it's been reasonably close to irrelevant in modern since it was printed. Uh, it is certainly probably one of, it is either the or second most compelling card to be casting with as foretold. Um, certainly the most clear on how to take advantage of it. Uh, and it, you're right. You know, the buy-in's really high. You're not going to be able to find a huge quantity of these. And I mean, even if you could, are you really eager to spend that much money on them? Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could easily pick these up at, at 45, 50 and sell them for 75. If you can do that locally, you know, that's 15 bucks a copy. So kind of a, a, a large outlay for a, a minimal profit percentage wise in terms of the total cost of the card. Um, but still uh, a good chunk of, of cash in your pocket for each copy if you're willing to, to kind of, to go out on a limb. But I think, I think they're safe. I was looking for copies. I, I tried to pick up a couple, but I got stuck doing something at work. And by the time I came back, the price had risen like five or almost $10 already. So, well, I mean, and but one of the things that it favor is because it's a suspend card, right? Um, we just got that mind versus might dual deck that everybody assumed this was going to be in because it had, uh, uh, a suspend theme. Uh, yeah, I said it was. And, and it wasn't there. So if it's not there, then it's going to be pretty tough to print it anywhere else. Um, there's certainly no announced product where you would be worried about it showing up. Um, and all of that contributes to, I think it, you know, it's supply is low. The interest is, you know, there's a minor spike in interest that could turn into a floodgate, at which point this could easily end up being a noble hire type card. Cause when it's run, it's usually run as a four of. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I agree. I agree. It's a good card. All right. Uh, 
Okay, so, so my other pick for the week. Yeah, yeah, right. My other pick for the week is uh, my real pick is uh, Wheel of Fate. So not too far apart from Ancestral Vision. I just, as foretold, is really interesting. And Wheel of Fate falls right into that camp as well. Um, the copies were at like $1.50 or $2 yesterday afternoon when I decided I was going to pick it this week. Uh, it's already up to like $3 if you're lucky. Um, and supply is very low. What's really wild is this was just printed in Commander 16. Like, like five months ago it was in it was in those decks um and so it's still real hard to come by at the moment so uh not a lot out there price is pretty low um i really liked this before the commander printing i'm starting to feel rosy about it again now it's probably i would i would say of all the legal suspend cards in modern the trickiest one to make the use of um i see immediate application for uh balance visions and um living end hypergenesis of course is banned so wheel of fate's a little more of a stretch but it's still an extremely powerful effect um and i you know the thing is that once you're playing as foretold to cast your suspend cards for free you're kind of priced into wanting to play more of them like you're already going through the work so why not get paid off even more uh so, you know, especially with the expertises that were printed in the last set, you now have a lot of ways to cast these things for free. So there's not as much of a downside for holding on to them. So I'm not clear what the deck list looks like, which is probably the biggest problem with Wheel of Fate at the moment. But supply is low. Prices is, is low. Um, it's very cheap compared to all the other suspend cards at the moment. Um, and I, I think you're you're fairly safe at the moment if you can score these for $3 with uh, with an upside of somewhere between 8 and 15 I'd say. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things here. The First of all, in a super aggro-heavy format, you definitely don't want to give them seven cards. <laughs> um, you're going to take away their last three and give them seven. That's going to be trouble. But, Please burn me. Yeah, exactly. But if you can figure out a way, if you're facing a meta where that's not a problem for some reason, um, where you're the one, if you've got a deck shell where you're emptying your hand faster than they are, and then you, you get more bonus out of uh, having seven fresh cards than they get... Um, then, you know, maybe you can figure it out. The The thing is, once you've got As Foretold on the table, you can potentially be casting free spells on your turn and their turn, plus the thing you would normally be doing. So that could be up to three spells every turn where they're still tra- they're still tracking along at one spell, maybe two spells per turn. Um, and so I can, I can envision some kind of counter burn formula or something where the spell on their turn is the counter, the spell on your turn is a burn card for free, plus you're leaving mana up for their next turn. Um, and that Wheel of Fate plays into all that, and maybe you've got fevered visions on the table and you're doing damage to them for having too many cards. I have no idea. Um, but I would love to see Counterburn uh, make a splash in Modern, uh, and Wheel of Fate is basically Wheel of Fortune under an As Foretold, so um, I would at least say it's worth testing. Uh, clearly, other people agree with us. The supply has drained out very rapidly in the last 48 hours. Um, I bought some last night, pretty cheap. Um, there's very few left in that $3 range that Travis is uh, suggesting you get in at on, but you might want to look it's, locally because, you know, price. <laughs> maybe your local shop hasn't repriced. Um, and uh, between this Ancestral Vision and Restore Balance, I think we can agree that this is the biggest long shot. Um but the, you know, it's relatively little cost to get in on this. And, you know, there are always Necrosar players that may want it. 
Right, right. Yeah, that's the thing is it's it's got a strong long term profile too. So it's it's pretty safe in the sense that you're very unlikely to to buy this at three dollars and then find it worth seventy five cents in a year. You know, it's it's at worst case you're going to get out for what you paid for it. Um, but yeah. So, but other than that, I, I agree with with most of everything you've got to say. So, what's your uh, what's your last card for us, James? So. I'm starting to look at, you know, most of the inventions that I was buying in Europe over the last few months have been EDH-focused ones because they were underpriced over there. Um, But I'm starting to notice that uh, the modern playable four-ofs, like uh, Ethervile and more specifically Mox Opal, um, is really starting to get on low on supply. Like there might be 10 to 15 copies of the Mox Opal uh, masterpieces left uh, on TCG. Um, Mox Opal as a card in general, um, you know, is played in a few different decks. So you've got uh, Affinity, obviously. Um, the Krat Clan Ironworks decks are running it. The, uh, um, sorry, what's the Ensnaring Bridge deck that I always forget? Uh, Lantern Control. Yeah. Lantern, Lantern Control. Control also runs Mox Opal. And you occasionally see it in Eldrazi Tron builds as well. So, I mean, Opal has a pretty broad demand profile. If you play one, you typically play four. Uh, and the masterpiece of this card is lovely. Um, so if you can get in on a copy somewhere in the 90 to $110 range, depending on whether you're buying online or via social media or something, I think you're pretty safe to hit 150 with this card sometime in the next, you know, six to 18 months. Yeah, I think that's a that's a very solid choice. We're not going to see it come back. And as Wizards showed us with Omnicat, the masterpieces are not going to be home runs every time. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a slow burner, uh, but I think it's very safe. Uh, as long as you can dodge those bands, it's, it's great. And even if you don't, um, it's still probably not going to take too much of a beating. Yeah. So I actually just looked up uh, Wheel of Fate just to double back for a second uh, on EDH Rec, and there's like 3,500 decks uh, running the card. Most of them are either Nekasar, as I said, or Yidris, Maelstrom Wielder, um, because that's the one that gives all your spells Cascade. And of course, um, spells with zero casting costs are easy to hit off Cascade. So uh, Cascade-focused EDH decks would also be in the market for a Wheel of Fate. Yeah, it's also, I, I play Idris and uh, I have found the deck thirsty for cards on several occasions because you want to play kind of a distributed monocurve instead of uh, just a huge pile of expensive spells. So with a lot of cheap spells in your hands, you kind of burn through them pretty quickly. So if you don't have a lot of draw, um, it's nice to have that available to you. Makes sense. Uh, so segment three is uh, we're going to look at what the modern metagame is on Moto right now. Uh, so what uh, what are you seeing, James, that, that's, that's jumping out at you here? Yeah, because GP San Antonio was a team format, I, it seems a little uh, odd to go through that meta too seriously. Um, there were some cool decks on camera, that most of which we've already mentioned. But the thing is that uh, unless Team Modern becomes the dominant form of Modern, and it's not a completely outside chance because a lot of people were very happy with how that tournament went. And there's been discussions about further modern GPs later this year being turned into team tournaments, if they can uh, justify uh, support level. Um, But that notwithstanding um, the modern metagame online uh, is a good place to something you should be checking out anyway, to get a sense of 
um, what cards might be spiking in the future. Because the metagame online tends to be where a lot of the top players and uh, streamers and and brewers are testing their new ideas. And so uh, if you're playing a lot online, you're going to get an early window on trending decks and cards um, ahead of the paper people that have to wait for them to show up at their local FNM or, or see something on camera. Um, so just a good habit to get into. Goldfish, I think, is probably the undisputed site for checking out metagame uh, percentages and stats. They're pulling data directly from Magic Online. Um, so that's usually where you want to set up shop and you know keep a tab open. Um, there's a couple things going on over there. You can see the, the decks in the last few days that have been 5-0-ing leagues. Um, and that's usually a good place to look for, you know, hot new ideas that are starting to run through the gauntlet and do relatively well. And then you also want to look hot at the broader metagame and, sorry? So hot decks in your area. <laughs> you also want to get a, you know, a sense of the modern metagame, uh, in terms of the percentage of the meta that any given deck makes up and what the price of that deck looks like in paper, uh, specifically, if you're trying to figure out what paper specs to translate your online research into, uh, make sure you're paying attention to um, the variations in the cost of online decks versus paper decks because they do, you know, an expensive deck and paper might be different on Magic Online because of how cards have been released on that platform over time. Um, they don't always line up. Uh, you know, for instance, something like uh, Death Shadow Aggro on Magic Online right now is like a $1,500 deck um, if you want to play it in paper. Um, uh, but if you're looking for, you know, an online price, uh, it's, uh, it might be significantly less. So you, you just got to do your research. I, um, I definitely find the percent of the metagame feature to be useful because it gives you a comparison for the decks. Uh, so, you know, it, you can kind of get an idea of, well, I know ad nauseum is the most popular modern combo, but like, how does that stack up against like death shadow? Like how many people are actually showing up with death shadow versus showing up with ad nauseum? So that sort of information, uh, is, is very helpful because it, it allows you to see what the demand looks like for a card. So if you see that ad nauseum is, uh, a quarter of as popular as death shadow, uh, you know, that kind of gives you some direction when you're considering what specs to look at. Yeah, and I would argue, like, at present, at least on Magic Online, you're, you're facing a very healthy meta. Like, one of the most interesting and diverse metas we've seen in modern since the, the advent of the format. Um, you know, Death Shadow Aggro is pretty clearly at the top of the heap with a 10% percentage of the meta. Um, uh, you know, with Tarmogoyf, Mishra's Bobble, and Thoughtseize being, you know, central pillars of the deck. And you got... But you've also got Dredge, Abzan Midrange, Burn, Eldrazi Tron, and Bant Eldrazi, both of which are relatively new archetypes, um, operating aside, uh, beside Affinity, um, and Grixis Death Shadow, which is just a variation uh, on the other De Death Shadow build, um, making up another 4%. And then you've got, as you said, uh, in the combo side of things, Ad Nauseum, Titan Shift, uh, and Blue Red Gifts slash storm making up roughly three percent each um a couple of other tron incarnations you've got merfolk mixed in there and then abzan company and jund kind of taking up the rear i mean hard to argue that modern is not in a good place yeah i think it's been in a great shape for a while now i know pros occasionally write articles to the contrary they're just a bunch of dumb whiners uh <laughs> um you know what jumped out at me looking through this was uh, i was surprised at how popular dredge was um, I knew that it was a real deck, but I hadn't seen much of them in a while. Um, so when I see on here that it is currently 
five and a half percent of the Medicam. That's kind of surprising. Uh, looks like there might be a little room in there. You know, we talked about life from the loam earlier at over $20 a piece right now, but boy, blood gas is still in there. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen, haven't seen much of that, you know, lately that seems like there might be some meat on the bone. I mean, one of the things, one of the reasons that that's being driven to the forefront online is that the deck is only 270 tickets, which is like three times less expensive than playing Death Shadow aggro. Um, if you want to print, if you want to get the paper version of the deck, it's like double that, but it's still only 500 bucks. Um, whereas, uh, Death Shadow aggro, uh, in paper is, you know, 15 or 1600 US. That's a pretty big commitment to get it on a deck that may or may not get nerfed this year. And as a result, I wouldn't be chasing um, that deck unless I was already sitting on various copies of the necessary cards. Although, one of the things that's nice uh, about Death Shout Aggro is that if you get end up getting stuck with it, most of your cards just kind of fade back into Jund, right? Yes, yeah, there's a pretty heavy uh, crossover. I mean, really, if you're looking over at Dredge, the, the heavy layouts are... Um... Blood gas, life from the loam, and then your mana base. But the mana base is is uh, it's a little fast land heavy, but it's reasonably transferable. Um, excuse me, uh, life from the loam is a solid card, so uh, yeah, it's not it's not a bad place to be as far as buying into a deck and having it switch over. Yeah, and I mean in the Death Shadow builds, the most expensive cards now that Death Shadow has been reprinted, um, especially are Tarmogoyf's Liliana of the Veil, uh, Thoughtseize, and Verdant Catacombs. Um, you're also running some Wooded Foothills and Bloodstained Myers that are generally useful in the format, uh, and three Fulminator Mages in the sideboard, which are also generally useful. So you wouldn't really get caught that far outside other than, you know, whatever happens to your Mishra's Baubles uh, once they pull those from circulation at some point. Right. Which, <laughs> you think it's going to get banned before they print more of them? There's been... I don't think they're going to print any more of them. Um, I think it's much more likely that... Uh, because it's using it's using a character they don't want to go anywhere near, um, you know the Urza Mishras thing they they've shown a, a strong uh, willingness to ignore um, that part of the magic lore for the time being, uh, and I think it's much more likely that you know the discussions have been is it Street Wraith or Mishras Bauble that is the more uh, vicious enabler in the deck. Um, the deck is an interesting deck. So if they scale it back a little, like they did with Dredge, um, and and you know the, in the same way that they got rid of Golgari Grave Troll for the second time, uh, and and nerfed Dredge all over again, um, Dredge is still a playable deck as we're seeing. It's still second to the meta um, without Grave Troll because it just used Stinkweedium and Golgari Thug um, to pull off most of the same stuff. So you know it's better to leave the deck playable but a little weaker. Um, than it is to destroy it completely. So getting rid of Death Shadow, which they just reprinted, uh, instead of getting rid of one of the things that makes the deck more consistent, um, doesn't seem like the way to go. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, Mishra's Bobble certainly seems easier to ban than put back into circulation. Uh, you know, of course, Wizards loves to make fools of us all. Um, uh, you know, I'm looking through this through the through the modern metagame right now, and I, I agree it's very healthy. Uh, Death Shadow, you know, over 10, percent so that's pretty wild. Uh, a little surprised to see Abzan in third place, third place at a little under five percent. I'm not sure what I expected to see there, but uh, that's more popular than I would have expected. Um, I don't know Titan Shift at two, Titan Shift around the same number of ad nauseum is kind of funny, but I think that's got to be a moto thing, right? Like I don't think I've ever seen 
the, any I really heard of Titan Shift in real life, whereas ad nauseum shows up. Uh, I guess it is like you mentioned, it is fair to consider that a lot of these results or I should say uh, presence in the modern the um, moto modern meta is relative to deck cost because Titan Shift is 500 bucks. It looks like uh, wait, hold on about 400 400 bucks online. Yeah, so I mean, the really cheap decks are going to get played more, so it'll skew it a little bit, and it's not too large of a of a um, a sample size. But uh, yeah, I, well, I mean, it, it looks Titan great. Titan Shift has definitely been seeing a resurgence because the the list has been rejigged. I've definitely seen some locally, um, but I, I just think it's uh, you know to reiterate, this is not fully representative of the paper meta, um, and really for you know the average listener, uh, the pro tour or GP circuit is not particularly relevant. What matters is what people are playing at your local store, <laughs> since that's where you're going to be playing most often. Uh, now, if you're a grinder and you're on the you're trying to get on the pro tour, um, then what the pros are up to uh, certainly matters. Um, but if you're the kind of guy that's just going to play once a week locally, um, you really just need to get to know what the people around you are playing um, and and get a sense for it. And if you want to play online, um, try to find a deck that is A, resilient to bannings or unlikely to be banned. Uh, the mid-range decks especially are are pretty resilient in that way. So are the kind of like go-to aggro decks like Burn and Zoo. Um, Jund and Abzan are always going to be there. Tron could lose its lands at some point. Affinity could lose Mox Opal. Um, Death Shadow could lose something. Dredge could be could, could end up tuned to the point of trouble again. Um, so keep that in mind when you're trying to figure out where you want to put your money because your money is safer in some decks rather than others. It is interesting uh, how many of these decks have a piece that is sort of uh, kind of on the edge, isn't it? Well, I mean, if you're if you're running a deck in modern that doesn't have something in it that might get banned one day, your pro- deck probably isn't powerful enough. I mean, see any list I run <laughs> and <laughs> and use that as a guide. Uh, that's that's a very fair point. Is if you're not doing something that's going to get banned, then why are you bothering with it? Yeah, well, well, I'm dicking around with like Thopter Sword, uh, Death Shadow guys just hitting me upside the head for seven. Yeah, very rude. Uh, uh, go ahead. All right, so we can. I think we can move on to our uh, final topic of the week, which is uh, a look over some of the more interesting Amonkhet previews that have been revealed this week, um, both for uh, finance purposes and cards that we think will be interesting or fun to play with, I guess. Yep. Uh, so, you know, a lot has happened this week. What is your favorite card to come out of all this? Uh, I think Liliana Death's Majesty is a card that people are going to want to own for years to come. Um, it's not quite cheap enough that it's clear that it could be modern playable. However, the fact that it unconditionally puts any creature from your graveyard into the battlefield on the turn that you play it, and that you could get it down as early as turn four in modern, means that that could be bringing all sorts of craziness back into play, right? Like it could be bringing Grizzlebrand back into play. It could be bringing Eldrazi back into play. Um, and unconditional graveyard um, reanimation spells have been few and far between uh, in the last several years. And I think people are going to underestimate uh, the value of this card. The other thing is that the plus one making zombies and knocking cards into your graveyard is a delirium enabler in a world where both in standard and modern delirium is a thing. Um, and the minus seven after just two tick ups, so like the third turn you, you keep it in play, 
Um, being able to destroy all non-zombie creatures potentially is uh, exciting for both zombie casual players and people that are going to try to make a deck like that work in modern. Um, it's certainly going to see play in standard. Uh, the art is gorgeous. I think it's, you know, would you agree the best of the Leon art we've ever seen? Yeah, they. I remember they showed this uh, this art a while ago before we knew what it was going to be used for, and everyone was uh really impressed with it it is it is great um you know it's a kind of a callback almost to tassiger and uh, i love the purple in it it's this very rich purple i think the foils are going to be stunning because of the the light that's shining across the the line of her leg um and the the depth of shadow to light that from the background to the foreground all of that contributes to you know what could be the definitive you know collector card for liliana fans and i think there's a lot of liliana fans around um there's a lot of people that are interested in cosplaying liliana and playing liliana themed decks um and you know this is a spring set not a fall set so there's not going to be as many of these around as a mythic um uh, all of that adds up to me as a card that's a, going to be overpriced as of right now. So, for instance, on Star City, they are pre-selling this card for uh, $25. That's way too much. You want to wait until this inevitably gets down into the $10 to $15 range, and then you can start thinking about acquiring some. Um, pretty much all the Mythics are actually overpriced that look any good. Um, we also have Gideon of the Trials, which we talked about earlier, at $50. Um, and I think that I want to wait and see if the other Gideon gets banned before I'm committing to playing some kind of Gideon theme deck in standard. Something tells me that Gideon, uh, ally of Zendikar is much closer to the chopping block in a world where the next Gideon is cheaper and gives you an emblem that says that other Gideon that was already winning you the game. Now you can't lose the game while he's in play. So don't worry about getting attacked in the air so long as you can keep him there. Yeah. I really would not be surprised to see, uh, to see wizards just, you know, ban ban Gideon right at the outset and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we didn't expect this to be legal. You know, Ally of Zendikar to be legal initially at this point in time. Uh, we had the change of rotation cycle. So we're, uh, you know, we did that for you guys, but this is just not something that we feel standard is prepared for. Then again, we do know that they chose to leave um, the Sahili combo in place, even though they knew about it. Uh, they didn't know about it until the spoilers were up, but they did find out about it. They had a window and they chose to leave it. Um, so they might let it go just to see what happens uh, and kind of use that second ban window after the Pro Tour uh, for what it's for uh, and see if and see if Sander can handle it. Um, I, I mean, really, I suppose when you think about it, you have a slate of new cards coming in. They're all, all, all some interesting stuff in here. From Wizards' perspective, I'm not sure that there's an incentive for them to get rid of Gideon yet. I think they'll be watching very closely, but but why ban him earlier than you have to? Yeah, it's possible that they use this window to say to do nothing uh, and then wait and see how the Pro Tour plays out. But if they decide, if their internal testing led them to believe that uh, double Gideon decks are just crazy, um, I don't think they want to be on the hook for that, and they would rather... Uh, nerf it up front and and take it on the chin and then make sure that the pro tour plays out well because this is like this is a turning point right like if standard is still bad after Amonkhet rotates in they've got a real problem because the reports from all the way back to last summer has been declining attendance in standard and through a number of hassles and problems from cards getting banned to the meta being too narrow 
um, more and more people have turned away, have been playing modern, have been drafting modern masters 2017 online, have been playing, testing out frontier, whatever thing they're doing to not be playing standard. They're doing it. Yeah. I suppose, you know, when wizards made the decision about whether or not to, uh, to change the rotation schedule, um, that, if they were paying attention, you know, if they knew what Gideon was going to do at that time, that they would have uh, made a point to test it, see how it was in the FFL, and decide whether or not they were going to need to preemptively ban it or not. And, I mean, we don't know that, and we're not really going to find out until, uh, I guess, until, what, that Monday or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how those bannings play out. Um, I mean, a couple other things worth noting. Uh, the Liliana... Um, actually has represents another infinite combo with Felidar Guardian um, because there's a card from Ether Revolt called Defiant Salvager, um, which is a 2-2 for 2 and a black. Sacrifice an artifact or a creature, put a plus 1, plus 1 counter on Defiant Salvager. Um, so basically what you can do is you can have a Liliana, a Felidar Guardian, and a Defiant Salvager in play. You sack the Felidar Guardian to the Salvager. It gets a plus one, plus one counter. It's in the graveyard. Liliana brings it back. It blinks Liliana, which then resets her ability to bring it back. You then sack it to the Salvager and so on and so forth. You then have an infinitely large Defiant Salvager, um, which you can either fling at somebody um, or just hit them upside the head with since very few cards are going to kill that once once it gets scrolling. Yeah, which is, uh, it's wild how many of these things are in standard now. I mean, you know, there's a big difference between two-card combos and three-card combos, and we see three-card combos float around every now and then, so that's not too far out of the range. But, you know, if there are three playable cards, uh, it's kind of different. So <laughs> you got to wonder, you know, what's going on over there that they're letting all these out, out of the door. I guess it's really a lot of it is just... Uh, it's the, Guardian. Yeah, it's the templating on Felidar Guardian was loose and they screwed up. Yeah. Um, uh, but it's funny that the the ability on Liliana is almost as dangerous as uh, the one on Sahili. It requires uh, one extra card, obviously. So it's three card combo, not a two card. But if you had both combos in the deck, then your your overall um, and you can make that work somehow. Then your overall uh, ability to get one of them off is going to be increased, right? Um, the other thing with Gideon of the Trials, of course, is that because none of his abilities tick down, he's ideal for accruing Heart of Kirin. Um, you know, he can, uh, you can take a loyalty off him and activate one of his abilities and you've still on, on, you're still only down one loyalty counter, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is, which is pretty sick. Uh, he is very good at driving that ship. And, and the thing is that. <laughs> He, he can shut down any singular uh, uh, threat on the other side of the board. So all-in style decks are going to have trouble um, getting through, um, especially if they don't have uh, any burn to do damage to him directly. Yeah, he... Um, yeah, I mean, really, that's that's really sick, is he blanks their... He blanks your opponent's heart of Kieran and crews yours. So that's, like, a huge tempo play, right? Like, they play a turn two heart of Kieran and you do, and then you end up on turn three, and if if they don't have the same play, you just play Gideon, silence their heart, and then crush them in the face with yours, and that's uh, that's unpleasant for them. Yeah, because it's until your next turn, right? So you, you're right. They You can make their your heart of Kirin do full damage um, with, with only losing one loyalty counter you don't need for anything on Gideon anyway, and get through their heart, because they're not going to want to block in that situation. And it lasts until your next turn. So they can't crew the heart and get through regardless. Um, 
all of which is is pretty nasty. And and if you have to on defense, you can you can use up one of his loyalty again. So you can use him on offense and defense, and he's still alive. Yep, it's uh, you can't do that for too long, but you can do it at least once or twice. So um, yeah, he's he's going to be he's going to it's going to be surprising if he doesn't make an impact in standard. How about that? So what do you think of these god cards that we've seen so far? Uh, you know, I got to tell you, I don't like them. You know, I really, I, part of this is that they hit the, they hit the Theros gods out of the park. I really think for all the, the, all the trouble that we, uh, like to give wizards, um, they did an excellent job with the Theros gods. They were evocative. They were interesting. They were distinct. Uh, and these are kind of none of those, you know, they, they aren't enchantment creatures. So they're not really that cool in that sense. Um, they're basically just sort of like creatures. I, I don't know the, the fact that they lack a frame, that they lack an interesting characteristic in the way that uh, that Theros gods did. You know that it's the devotion worked so well from a flavor flavor perspective, and like these make sense that you have to go through the trial to turn them on, but it's not as evocative. It does, I feel like it doesn't look as good. It doesn't play as well. Um, ultimately, I find them just very underwhelming. They're just basically legendary creatures with a. Uh, with the drawback that you have to satisfy before you can really put them to good use. This is not doing a lot for me, honestly, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed. Yep, I agree fully with pretty much everything you said. The uh, flavor is not as good. The The trials thing is actually pretty cool, but it has to be explained to you. It's not immediately obvious from the cards. Um, and so I think it, you know, in from a lower flavor perspective, it's fine. But in terms of, you know, excitement to open, I, I don't want to get any of these. Like, and... There's, there's no reason I, I, I can't picture the decks that want these yet. I mean, it's possible that other cards show up that make them more exciting, but I'm surprised that the abilities they have prior to being able to uh, attack or block aren't more interesting slash powerful. Um, because, you know, Kefnet the Mindful, for instance, is, is a do nothing three casting cost indestructible, um, well, an indestructible do nothing essentially. I mean, he's a creature technically, but he can't attack or block, so there's not much you can do with him. Um, the I, I guess one of the things you can do though that uh, on on the basis that they are following up on Kaladesh block is you can crew things with them. Um, so there is that probably not to be underestimated. Yeah, the, and they're indestructible, and they're indestructible, right? So it gives you a very reliable uh, basis for crewing if that's what you're after. What was it like? I saw somebody say, uh, you know, the, the entire idea behind that was uh, Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's hilarious. Yeah, it's yeah, they are. They're just so underwhelming. They don't do anything interesting. I the blue one especially, I thought was like, I looked at that like, really, this is like, this is the god. Like, this isn't cool or interesting at all. Uh, I'm just very unappealing. Um, and I mean, even if it's good, it's still just, it's just not interesting. You know, Thassa was, well, I mean, Thassa was amazing, but, uh, you know, even the, even one like Nylia looked, looked cool and seemed interesting, even though she didn't see that much play. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I mean, like, can't attack or block unless you have seven or more cards in hand. I, I immediately asked on Twitter, like, is this vintage playable? Because I'm having trouble imagining when I'm going to have seven cards in hand in standard. Um, given how aggressive the format has been and drawing cards for <laughs> yeah drawing cards for four mana isn't something I, I feel like I'm in the market for in that format so unless I'm crewing things with this indestructible uh, you know bus driver I, I don't know why I care no it's, it's just boring boring so bland. 
However, there is a blue mythic that I am excited about, and that's the one we've mentioned multiple times in the show already, as foretold, which plenty have people, plenty of people seem divided about. Some of us are saying, oh my god, this thing is going to be busted in one format or another. Others are saying, no, it's hot garbage. Um, I love cards where people are divided like that because it means that they are complex, difficult to evaluate, and will one day make us money. Um, as foretold, I hope flops because it's currently at $25, and I would much rather be picking these up in the 5 yeah, pretty much $5 range would be my target, um, on the hope that it doesn't do anything in modern to start with, doesn't get anywhere in standard, and um, ends up being near a near-bulk mythic that only gets exploited fully down the road. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly appreciate that perspective. I don't know if I want to wait that long to sell my restore balances, uh, but, I, <laughs> but I get where you're coming from with that. That is a huge card for us. Um, you know, obviously we've seen it move a ton of prices so far, and even if it doesn't really materialize right away, uh, it will always have the possibility of being broken and it's already changed so much as it is. It's, it's really had an outsized presence on the financial sector, um, more, you know, compared to everything else. So it is, it is a very interesting card, uh, I, I'm curious to see where it goes in standard too. Um, so so know, let's just let, let's recap what it does. It's an enchantment for two and a blue. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you put a time counter on it. And then once each turn, you may pay zero rather than pay the mana cost for a spell you cast with converted mana cost X or less, where X is the number of time counters on as foretold. So what that means is the turn you play it, you can you can cast uh, a free spell. In theory, a suspend spell in modern, like we've been discussing. So Ancestral Vision or Wheel of Fate or Restore Balance um, or Living End, um, any of these cards that you might, for whatever reason, want to cast immediately. Um, and then on your opponent's turn, you can only do zero casting cost instance. So that probably doesn't help you very much <laughs> unless you're casting a Pact of Negation for some reason. Um and and have a Gideon emblem in play, and the Gideon, uh, and then there's a Gideon still in play, so you can't lose the game off the Pact negation. I mean, are we going oh, yeah. deep enough? Are we going deep enough yet? By the, the way, that's that's the other thing I heard about with Gideon is you can play him in modern with packs, and you're safe. You know, so you can play Gideon with Pact of negation backup because uh, then they try and kill the, you know, they try and do anything, and you just pack it, and then you don't pay for the pack because you can't lose. And that's not like an ongoing trigger where if you lose to Gideon, you lose the game. It's just, you know, if they have to get rid of it right then and there, which is really interesting because you can actually turn two. You technically you can kill somebody on turn two with it because um, you can turn one, put Gideon in the play, and then turn at the end of that turn play uh four pact of the titans yeah brother that's what i was and just then, thinking and then untap and turn gideon on <laughs> as, as a creature and swing for, for so, uh, if you christmas land we are pretty much there it is snowing <laughs> please please let somebody do that on camera at some point please I mean, I mean that deck would be so bad, though. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what else the deck looks like, but I, I think it's hilarious because the thing is that what Gideon needs most, if you're going to activate that emblem, is. Uh, I mean, first of all, it's interesting that in activating the emblem, he doesn't go anywhere. Right. Right. Like he's just like. When when did we get an emblem that costs zero? <laughs> I, I believe this is our first one. <laughs> right. So the the fact that you can you know but what he needs is a blocker so that you can keep him in play after that so the fact that you could drop four 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 red giant creature tokens um 
And, you know, it's going to be pretty hard for anybody to, to get over there and, and hit Gideon. And, and from there on out, he can start plus oneing, right? And, and make it that much harder. And you're right. He can swing for 20 with them on the next turn. And yes, that's magical Christmas land. But, um, you know, this won't be the only time they figure out an interaction for this guy. Um, right. th- there's going to be stuff that comes up. Uh, the, the card is, is, uh, despite having a fairly repetitive middle ability, the rest of that is fairly interesting in terms of what might, what might be possible given the combination of ability and, and casting cost. Um, so, I mean, back to as foretold, um, I'm more realistically speaking in some kind of Jeskai or Esper control type build, you might drop as foretold on turn three, immediately ancestral vision. Um, you know, you went down two cards to go up three cards, so that's not too exciting. But the thing is, you're rolling on from there, and enchantments are one of the safest permanents to have in play in modern because, you know, people aren't packing main deck enchantment hate most of the time. And, yeah. and so that on their turn, you then get to counterspell for one for free, so you get to cast a spell pierce, um, or a dispel or whatever. Uh, and then starting on your turn, you're, you're casting, uh, sorry. On the first cycle, you start getting to be able to do the one casting cost stuff, and then each turn you're getting a two, a three, a four. And you can start casting weird cards like Ideas Unbound, like a two mana sorcery that gives you three cards and you discard three at the end of turn. Um, when you can discard, when you can play multiple, uh, one of the spells for free in the turn, a card like that might get turned on as something that actually does something. Yeah, I've, uh, I've, that's an interesting card. It's popped up here and there in a couple other builds. Um, certainly a lot of power in that. It hasn't made its way into modern yet. And it's a common, so you're not going to get too much leverage out of it from a financial perspective, but a cool card nonetheless. Um, you know, the other thing that I'm really interested in with this, uh, that I, I would like to see is, uh, a revised living end build. Um, between this lets you cast living end i mean all the split cards or all the free cards obviously i mean that's like what our entire show is about but it lets you cast the free cards like living end um immediately uh and the expertise is also give you that angle uh so what we have here is you can build a living end deck that doesn't use cascade you can have four fate foretold and a couple of expertises and and then you just have to draw into that and living end so you can still um turn three your living ends which is kind of what the deck does right now which is not which is fine but now you get to play with cheap cards cards you know of of a different deck plus we just got a one mana cycling four four sphinx which is also really interesting um which is almost definitely going to see standard play but it cycles for one blue and it's a four four flyer so that's that is that's pretty interesting so now you're looking at like a fate foretold deck that plays living end so like i could almost see blue red um living end where you play fate for told you play cathartic reunion some faithless looting you play the living end you play maybe uh, Z- uh Kari zev's expertise you play the cycling sphinx you play architects of will fulminator mages so you can kind of like play it a little differently you can also go a completely different direction and turn living end into a giant gorio's vengeance like okay i'm gonna dump uh you know I'm going to have a Gristlebrand. I'm going to have an Inkwell Leviathan. I'm going to have a Xenagos, uh, maybe an Emerald Promise End. I'm going to dump all these in my graveyard and then cast Living, drop Fate Foretold Living End immediately and get like four legendary creatures in play. And you can run Gorgia's Vengeance in there too. So it really does give you some interesting options with, with Living End. And I don't know what we're going to see out of the gate. It might take some time for people to put that together, um, but it is certainly an interesting interaction. So so what about this one? Uh, Thought Seize to clear the way into glimpse the unthinkable to knock knock a bunch of big crazy shit into your graveyard into as foretold on turn three into living end and then bring it all back yeah i mean 
and and then that turn three you're clearing their board too yeah. it is pretty tempting pretty I, tempting I, the thing is that this thing is so open-ended and open-ended synergy is what i'm looking for in specs 25 dollar <laughs> mythics uh on pre-order is not what i'm looking for so again this is all about like the delay between it being bad and then later being good will determine how much money gets made on this card. Yeah, I really need this to crater very, very quickly so that I can pick them up uh, ahead of Vegas and then play a living end build. Oh, that'd be Vegas. awesome. Because I so, was going to fucking play Brain in the Jar, but then they <laughs> banned the split cards, which, by the way, the exact reason that they screwed split cards was because of this card. Sure. Because this card would have let you be casting would have been crazy. split cards in standard, and that's why they fixed it. And I am all sorts of angry about this. Yeah, I, I follow you. I've got some of those specs lying around, too. Yeah, so the other thing here is that even if this card never does anything in standard or modern, foils of As Foretold are absolutely going to get played in EDH, because in Atraxa, this thing gets two or three counters a turn. At which point, any amount of card draw just gives you ridiculous uh, free spells because this is one spell per turn. All opponents' turns count too. If you're in a five-person game, that's up to five spells in each turn cycle. Um, that's crazy pants. And there are uh, a few different deck commanders that are going to be interested in at least testing out this card. So the foils, if they get low enough, absolutely on my radar. Yeah. So a very cool card. Uh, there's a lot going on there, and I, we are just going to be scratching the surface with this for sure. Um, but we are... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, there's a few other cards I just wanted to touch on, some of the rares that have caught my eye. Um, touch on them, because it's been touch a long on show. I'm so we've got, <laughs> yeah, so failure to comply catches my eye. This is one half of remand. Re- return target spell to its owner's hand for one and a blue. And then if you play... Pay the uh, sorcery cost, so one white. So total, let's just call this a one blue white card. You can put a spell back in their hand and they can't cast it next turn. So in a world with like reflector mages and spell quellers and so forth, is there some kind of blue white tempo control build that's potential in modern between this and remand where you just keep putting shit back in their hand and never let them get anywhere? Yeah, I mean, I saw that mentioned, and it seems like uh, they might have—they probably knew this card was in the pipeline when they banned Reflector Mage because you were never—you were, you know, counter your spell on turn, return that spell to your hand on turn two. Then uh, on turn three, you get to cast it while your opponent does something else. But then they Reflector Mage it, and then they—you can't cast it the following turn because of Reflector Mage. And then the turn after that, they name it with uh, the—you know—the other comply. Half apply so it's just like you just never get to cast your spell for like four turns and that's assuming you have one reflector mage in one of these cards right so i mean you could essentially keep uh walking blitzes out of the game for like six turns in a row Um, at a dollar 49 i went ahead and got a playset um because there's zero risk there and this card looks fun i i want more control decks in modern i want to test the card um, cut to ribbons is interesting. Um, not necessarily financially, but like the fact that it, it's a sorcery, sure, and it's one in a red, and but it does four damage to a creature, which can't hit, say, Siege Rhino or Tassiger, but kills a bunch of other stuff in modern. Um, and then the ribbons, uh, each opponent loses X life is just you know a potential finisher with real, really no downside. You played a slightly worth worse creature removal spell, and then it gives you an X spell that threatens dent the game if the game doesn't finish fast enough. There, there might be something there. 
Um, Drake Haven triggering. This is the enchantment for two and a blue. Whenever you cycle or discard a card, you may pay one. If you do, you get a two-two flying Drake. Um, if you ever played Lightning Rift, you know that that was a dangerous fucking card. And get, it's trading two damage for a two-two creature that can do two damage every turn that has evasion built into it leads me to believe that at minimum there is a Drake Haven deck in standard. Um, those playsets are currently $8 a playset, less if you get them off social media. Um, that seems like a safe pickup because I think that there are going to, there's definitely going to be a good Drake Haven deck. Yeah, um, if you want to play Drake Haven, pay the eight bucks for the set and just take it because it's not going to get that much cheaper and you might end up saving yourself a good chunk of change. Yeah, here, here's another card I think is going to get broken in modern. Throne of the God Pharaoh. This is the legendary artifact for two. It's a rare. At the beginning of your end step, each opponent loses life equal to the number of tapped creatures you control. Um, modern elves will absolutely decimate you with this card. If they get to three or four or five elves on the table, cast this, and then Shaman of the Pact, you're dead. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of damage. Yeah, it's a, a lot of damage. And if they don't kill you on the first turn, all they got to do is block whatever you have on the table and then tap out again, put some more stuff in play, get that tapped via the uh, Heritage Druid, and now all their stuff is tapped and you're taking the remaining damage that's going to kill you. So I think Throne of the God Pharaoh uh, foils, if they come out at any kind of reasonable price, uh, I'll be picking those up because um, it's also going to be an EDH card. There are EDH decks that will be able to make this work. Um, oh, yeah. And and it's open-ended again. It, Elves is my starting point in Modern, but there's some other thing that can go on down the road that just results in you having a bunch of tapped stuff that equals automatic damage. This is essentially unblockable damage. Now, the downside is, of course, you have to have creatures in play to make it work, but you know there, there's not a lot of sweepers in Modern right now. And uh, I, I have faith that this kind of open-ended synergy is, is going to go the distance. The other card that jumps out at me as... Uh, Dusk to Dawn, um, this is the split card that uh, first destroys all creatures with power 3 or greater. So against Death Shadow, uh, Aggro in uh, Modern versus something like uh, Abzan Midrange with uh, Courser of Crufix or whatever, your shit could... Is- and, and you know, your turn, your side is like Courser of Crufix and two Noble Hierarchs facing down a Tarmogoyf and a Death Shadow... This kills all of their stuff, leaves yours on the board, and then when they eventually kill your stuff, you return all creature cards with power two or less from your graveyard to your hand. I mean, that's a lot of value. It is, for sure. Um, so real quick, uh, some of the cards that caught my attention. Uh, Hapatra, Vizier of Poisons, is uh, pays gives you a lot of snakes um, uh, and works well with snakes. I talked about snakes coming back in this set um, and popping some of the other old champions of Kamigawa snakes. So this is a possible commander for that strategy. So, um, you know, this we might see some action on some of those cards I talked about before. There's also the that, monument. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just have a comment on Hapatra. Uh, the the green and gold palette is gorgeous on that card. Um, yeah. Not one we see very often. And uh, the foils are going to be stunning definitely going to be trying to track one of those down it is it is a really cool card and uh very pretty um the other thing that i'm seeing is the monument cycle um so i'm going to give you just one of them here but they're all basically the same uh this is the green one it's a three mana artifact green spells cost one less to cast um and whenever you cast a creature spell 
um, target creature you control gets two two and trample. So they all give creatures of their color one less to cast, and they give you a trigger. The red one is a uh, rummage. The black one is uh, opponent. Whenever you cast a creature spell, opponents lose one and you gain one. So that's really good. Uh, the white one is you get a 1-1 one, one token. The blue one is you frost something. Uh, so these are going to be awesome in EDH. Huge appeal uh, there. So um, they all look really cool. I would be keeping an eye out for foil monuments. Um, and finally, the cycle lands, which came out real early in the week, which we've all basically forgotten about. But those are pretty real, too. Um, not only, of course, are they going to be very important standard, I could really see these showing up in modern. That's part of why life from the loam spiked this week. Um, it certainly puts Knight of the reliquary back on the table because now you have another way to funnel lots of lands into your graveyard to make him bigger than bolt range before you put him into play. And also they're typed. Uh, which I think a lot of people glossed over at first, but they do have the land types. So essentially, if you compare it to a shock land, a shock land gives you the option of putting it into play untapped for two life. This gives you uh, the option of cycling the card. So a lot, most three color strategies, I think are probably going to stick with shock lands, fetch shock, but I could definitely see two color decks moving towards a fetch cycle or a, a fetch bicycle land um, because they can kind of spare the slots a little bit. They're going to have more use, more, they can work a little more with their lands and that cycling can be really valuable. Um, also, of course, opens up Splendor Reclamation, some of those other strategies. So uh, the cycling lands for sure are going to have a reasonably wide ranging impacts. Yeah, you also mentioned Curator of Mysteries earlier, but not by name. It's the 4-4 Sphinx for four yes. that has flying and cycling blue, which means there's l very little downside to fooling around with the card. And whenever you cycle or discard another card, you scry one. Uh, yeah, I'm sure somebody will figure out some cool deck that you can build around that. Scry, 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 find your combo and go off. Um, the other card that c catches my eye as a long-term hold once it gets low enough is Regal Caracal. This is the 3-3 three, three for 5 that does kind of a, a loose Cloud Goat Ranger impression. Um, other cats you control get plus 1, plus 1, and have lifelink. And when it enters the battlefield, you get two one one white cat creature tokens with lifelink. So it's a 3-3. Three, three. Uh, it puts 7-7 seven, seven into play, 4-4 four, four of which is across two bodies and has lifelink. Now, if you clone that card... It starts giving the bonus to each of the the daddy cats, right? Because the the cat it, it, it's to other cats you control, and it is a cat. So it's one of these lords that can't benefit itself. But if there's two of them in play, then they do. So if you have two regal caracals in play, then you have two four fours and four three threes, which is twenty damage. And that can happen either through two of the actual card, or you could use something like alter ego in standard. Um, to generate the same effect. But in modern, you could do it with Phantasmal Image, for instance. Um, and even if they kill the, uh, the, the Phantasmal version, you would still have the tokens left behind. Well, you really want to make uh, that cat battle deck real. Well, I mean, the, that's a lot of power to put into play on a, off a two-card combo, right? And yes, it's a five-cast-and-cost card, and that's probably too slow for modern. But in standard, I could see it happening. I don't, I don't disagree. The real question is, what is the name of the deck? Is it Cat Scratch Fever? Is it Kitten Mittens? I mean, really, the options are endless. Is it Spay and Neuter Your Pets? <laughs> like, oh, I hate, I hate, I hate SEPA. -S uh, I hate it. I hate them all already. SEPA deck. <laughs> yeah, I hate them all already. Um, well, don't worry. Star City will not use any interesting names at all. So Yeah, it'll, it'll be called White Black Cats. Yes. Or, yeah. or Bant Cats. 
believe the audacity of some of these people to say that they're not going to use the name bicycle lands for these things. They're two colored lands that they cycle. If you're not calling them bicycle lands, get the hell out of my game. Yeah. I, I, I I understand from a marketing perspective why they are concerned. um, But the longtime player in me loves the trivia and the lore and the, the lingo that has developed throughout the history of the game. And I want more of it, not less. Right. Like it's it, cool. it, it's it, cool it is for it is for the long term player for sure. Exactly, it's inter- it's cool when decks have like history and name, and they're sort of, they have this sort of cachet where it's just like blue white aggro is like oh well, okay whatever it's blue and white cards that attack like I guess it makes sense but it's like like tin fins it's just it's just cool you're like what the hell does this mean and like you talk about it you learn about the the deck and where it comes from and yeah it just, it, I feel like you connect more with the community I think it's much more interesting. Uh, one last thing, Glorybringer Glory Bringer is the 4-4 flying haste dragon for 5 that when it exerts, it does a flame tongue cavu. Uh, mm-hmm. That's really strong. And at $3 a copy, I think you go ahead and get your playset right now. Uh, yeah, a, a special interest is uh, all those exert cards with coral, retreat to Coral Helm certainly get more interesting. Um, and now that I've said that, I'm going to immediately one-up it with the much better choice, which is always watching. Yes. Uh, always watching just gives you... So I started with Coral Helm, Retreat to Coral Helm, because I saw some people talk about that, and I kind of wanted, like, no, you go the other direction. You you real, you think about Coral Helm Retreat, and then you get to always watching. You don't go the other direction. Uh, but always watching makes these exert creatures insane. Uh, and that dragon especially, because he's haste, right? Like, I don't have him in front of me. Uh, he? yeah, yeah, he's haste. And the thing is, in yeah. Frontier, I get to replace the the mediocre uh, blue dragon from Dragons of Tarkir that was on five with this guy. And 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 I can play him alongside Ojitai, and it's just crazy pants. Yeah, but yeah, in Standard, you can go, if you have a turn three, always watching. Turn four, you just slam this dragon. Okay, attack for four and flame tongue something. Uh, people forget how strong flame tongue Kabu was. You know, it's been a long time. The bar for flame tongue Kabu has moved, but four damage on a coming to play trigger is a lot of damage. And then immediately swinging for four in the air, you can kill the. Th- yeah, that's yeah, it's good stuff. Yeah, uh, uh, that that price seems fine, even if it gets lower later. Your twelve dollar playset won't probably won't steer you wrong. No. Okay. All right, we gotta wrap this up. So, where can our listeners find you, James? You guys can find me uh, every week writing on mtgprice.com and on Twitter at mtgcritic. Okay, and I'm on Twitter at mtg... Or no, no, I'm not on Twitter at mtgprice.com. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write for mtgprice.com every Monday where I am also on... where, And I also show up on Cartel Aristocrats on Mondays. Uh, I'd also like to point out that we are slowly updating the look and feel, the user experience on mggprice.com. So you're going to notice the site looking a little different over the next couple months. Um, take a look at the new homepage. Let us know what you think. Send us your pet peeves about the site and we'll add it to our two uh, upgrade list that we've been working on. Um, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mggprice.com pro trader service for just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG MTG Finance Minds in the Business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right, James, I had a lot of fun this week. It was a great conversation, and I'm looking forward to uh, finishing up the Amoncut spoilers with you next week. Thank you, Travis. We'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.